Hey, this is Steve Thompson, and I'm feeling lucky to be hanging out with you today to chill with the Bible and Jesus together. So here we go with John chapter 10, verses 22 through 42. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are, quote, unquote, gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said, quote, I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back to the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. Okay, these are devotions and not supposed to be commentaries, but I can't resist doing a little bit of commentary on this passage before going into a little bit of a devotional. So please forgive me here, or you can just fast forward about five minutes. Uh, But I want to say a couple things about this passage. My dad gave me a Bible that I love to pull off the shelf whenever I'm studying called the Complete Jewish Bible. It's translated by a Messianic Jew who brings out the very Jewish flavor and culture of our scripture. And I never want to lose that context for tons of reasons, one of which is that I have Jewish family, and I know that they believe that they could never be Christians just because they're Jewish, which I'm sure is rooted in a long, harsh history But there's this perception that a Jew, by definition, can never be a Christian. And in my mind, I'm just screaming, but Jesus was Jewish. (laughs) And here he is in John 10, celebrating the festival of lights, Hanukkah or Hanukkah. Um, You should go and read the origin of this festival 
if you're not familiar with it, so that you know why they celebrated Hanukkah. But it was the most recent festival that the entire country celebrated as a defining moment for them at this period in history when, when John was written and in the time of Jesus that John was writing about. So the successful revolt that Hanukkah is based on and the miracle that accompanied that revolt uh, to free the Jewish people from their oppressors and to dedicate the temple back to God and to its proper use in worship, it, it had only happened less than 200 years before that, uh, before Jesus was referring to it or celebrating it, I should say. Um, and it was, it took place then already after the Hebrew scriptures had been written. The last of the Hebrew prophets had been already written down. And uh, yet this is the earliest mention of the festival written in history, depending on how you date uh, both the book of John and Josephus, who is a historian. But this very well could be the first time that we have Hanukkah as a celebration even mentioned in writing. So it's helpful to see Jesus in his context as a Middle Eastern man, faithfully observant, and humbly revolutionary. Speaking of context, I have to address this one argument that Jesus uses against his accusers, accusing him of blasphemy, and he quotes Psalm 82, verse 6, by saying, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods, small g. But we're like, wait, what? In the Bible, it calls people gods? What, what's going on here? Like, this is a big worldview change all of a sudden. I know, there have been more than a few cults that camp out on this one verse and come up with some crazy New Age understanding that all humans are gods or godlike, and then they put Jesus' rubber stamp on it with John 10.34, but that would be classic taking things out of context. So keep in mind that when a religious leader quoted a section of scripture um, at, in this first century Jewish context, it was designed to bring the entire context and passage of that section to, to the mind of the reader or the hearer. And in that time of history, this was a safe assumption. People tracked with exactly where the speaker was going. Uh, so if you went back to Psalm 82, we'd see that God is criticizing those in authority of the people at that time. So this is hundreds of years before. Um, and the judges uh, who were supposed to be protecting and serving and creating a just and peaceful community by listening to God and being his voice of justice in the community. But as it happens throughout every human civilization and every time, the justice system had fallen into the pockets of the rich and the powerful, and those most in need of protection were getting trampled on. Yet these rulers were given honorific titles as representatives of God. So it would be something like you and I in our system saying, your honor, uh, or if we had a king, you'd say, your majesty, right? That's an honorific title. Only in Hebrew, that title, that word, 
being used in Psalm 82 was Elohim, which literal Hebrew is the gods. And yet Elohim was also a name that Yahweh, the God of Israel, used of himself and the people throughout scripture called him Elohim. So Elohim in Psalm 82 is both God and is also playing on these people's honorific titles and God using using it to almost mock them into living up to their own namesake, or at least they should be well aware that they will be facing the same end as every human being. They will die and turn to dust like every mortal. They're not above the law. Although they have represented God, they are not in fact God or anything approaching God-like. Okay, so Jesus never afraid to school the scholars on their own field of specialty, uses this reference and the meaning of the whole passage was not in any way lost on them. It was a harsh criticism and warning to those in authority. So while at the same time giving that little subtle criticism, he's saying that if God himself was comfortable enough to let these mortals use the title of God, small g, or Elohim, as simply representatives of him, and poor ones at that, how much more should the very Son of God, who has performed miracles right in front of them, be recognized for what he is? In essence, he's saying, I get it if you don't believe my words, but I've backed up a truckload of evidence right in front of you, and you still don't believe. Dude, that's on you. So this is where context is everything, and context is super helpful to see what's going on. And now I want to back up in this passage a little ways and just meditate quickly on one verse, one concept that Jesus slips in. He says, you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I try so hard to listen to Jesus' voice. Sometimes it's obvious, but most of the time it's not. So here are my thoughts on getting to know Jesus' voice. When you've immersed yourself in Scripture, you've become familiar with God, who He is, what He's like. When He talks, you come to understand the kinds of things that he says. When you see him interacting with humanity throughout scripture, you come to understand what he cares about, what makes him angry, what makes him sad, what brings great joy to him, what moves him to compassion. And now we have the very spirit of God living in us, and he prompts us with thoughts and feelings. But we have to sift through those thoughts and feelings because they could just as easily be just that, our thoughts and feelings. So how do we discern between the two? What if those thoughts and feelings begin to follow a pattern of how God has worked and spoken in Scripture? And we notice that. Is that not Jesus' voice leading us, guiding us? shaping us, even correcting us. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was hanging out with my brother, 
and we were parking in this parking structure where everybody was parking and he ended up kind of purposefully taking up more than just his space um and I won't go into detail why but you know usually that's known as a not cool move at all kind of a thing um but I like for in the defense of my brother I thought it was okay because of various reasons but I'm not going to go into those details but okay so he's taking up more than one car space with his car right um, and we're, we're telling the story to Bev, his wife, when we get back home, because when he pulled into the spot, he's like, I can totally hear my wife's voice in my head right now saying, you think you're above the law all the time, don't you, Mark? And like, <laughs> I, I can relate with Mark in this case, because it's like, I can see the greater good here, but you're breaking the rules at the same time, right? So while Mark is telling, you know, Bev this whole story, we're both laughing, finding it amusing. Bev, not so much. I mean, a little bit, but also probably annoying because she's seen the pattern, right? At any rate, the point of the story, um, Mark knows how Bev thinks. He knows what she values, what she's concerned about. Um, she knows what she'd say in any given situation. And how a person honors their spouse's wishes over against, say, taking their own path, has its own little marital obstacle course to it. But how one follows through on the wishes of Jesus is a completely different dynamic. Jesus' sheep, his followers, they know his voice. They listen and they follow. They immediately give up their plan, their way of doing things, their preference, and simply follow the shepherd. I'm going to go for one last metaphor here, and I don't want to compare human beings to dogs, but that's basically what I'm going to do. And I, I love watching a well-trained dog who's, let's say, intently sniffing everything there is to sniff, and they're wandering farther and farther away, just happily, curiously exploring. But the minute the master whistles or calls the dog's name, there's this trigger, and the head comes up and looks around to the spot where the voice is coming from, and then there's a joyful sprint back to the master because to be next to the master far surpasses any other experience or joy that could be had in that moment. And I guess that's the picture that comes to my mind. What if I were that responsive to Jesus' voice in my life? My sheep listen to my voice. Jesus, today, would you help us grow in being familiar with and boldly responsive to your voice, even if we're not sure, even if we think it could very well just be our own thoughts or our own impulses, yet if they square with Scripture, if we're confident it's good and it squares with your character, I pray that we'd step out into it and we discover that you've been speaking and leading all along. Open our spiritual eyes and ears to where you're calling and speaking. Thank you for the joy and the grace of exploring this and gently lead us. Amen.